having that professional representing you actually makes you look more professional. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 218 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. You might have been involved in quite a few business sales for your clients. So when the time comes to sell your practice, why not do it yourself? This is the question I asked Matthew Taylor, a business broker for accountants. To what extent do you think a practice can sell itself? To what extent do you think a principal can sell their own practice alone without a broker? Well, I do like to think my biggest competitor is actually the accountants themselves. And I completely understand it. Like they're dealing with businesses. Often many of them deal with business sales and succession and they've watched clients that they started with and their business sold to other people and then continued the accounting on or the sons bought out the father's trade. And, and so, they were often involved. In and they were involved, heavily involved in both the negotiation and the back and forth or the valuation or the, the terms. Often they haven't appointed a business broker. It's actually often they often businesses are actually bought out by a competitor that they know well or a supplier in another part of the chain. And so they get the accountant involved. So often accountants almost act like a business broker, even though they're not officially licensed, et cetera, but yeah. they often fulfill well, the fun, role of Funnily something. enough, there's an exemption in a number of the real estate laws which allow the accountant of a business to represent a business in sale. So they do get involved in sales. And, of course, they trust the accountant. And the accountant knows often knows the business very, very well. They might have done many site visits over time, watched it grow, given them consultative advice on new markets. So they are well positioned to be um, an in integral part of that sale process. So when it comes to selling their own, of course, they think they can do it. And I suppose <laughs> I do see them as my main competition rather than, than other brokers. But what I would say is I generally think that, and even if you ask the, the greatest real estate agents in the world, would they sell their own property? And the, the answer is no. And There's a whole bunch of reasons, but probably some of the key ones I can share with you is there's going to be an emotional attachment to the business. It's very easy, and we sort of talked about this type of thing about how some people attribute value to the business name when really the value is in the clients. And so often accountants might overvalue their practice. They also... If they're not selling accounting firms regularly, because you're not selling your own firm every day of the week, they might not be aware of all the ins and outs in terms of restraints of trade, how much they should expect to see up front. They probably might find it a little bit more difficult to negotiate the price because price that you're asking actually becomes a bit sensitive. And one of the things I do find about when people have tried to do it themselves is there's a little bit of an attitude from the buyer is, oh, he's trying to sell it himself. And so straight away, the buyer thinks opportunity for a bargain. So the buyer becomes a little bit opportunistic. And by engaging a broker to represent you, straight away, I believe you- the price lift, goes up. Price goes up because there's more, they, the buyer knows is more mm -hmm. likely to be much more competitive tenure for the purchase. 
also that they've got professional representation. They're not going to be able to pull the wool over me in terms of what the practice might go for. So I think there's a combination of the emotional component and not being able to manage the process without getting a little bit tied up on it. And I think what can also happen is there can be miscommunications between parties too. And as the broker, I feel like it's my job to make sure the communication between both parties flows naturally and comfortable because if you're going to keep working with this person that you're selling your practice to for six months, for 12 months, for two years, for three years, I, I can think of examples where the, the principals stayed on for five years, which is fantastic. They've stayed on as a consultant and kept their finger in the business and kept their relationships with clients. It's some fantastic outcomes for some accountants. It's not going to start very well if they've been butting heads about the price. And if it comes out a little bit of a lose-lose, i.e. the principal thinks he didn't get enough and the buyer thinks he paid too much, then it's not going to be a great start to that ongoing relationship they're going to have. So by me, I believe, or a broker facilitating, hopefully what happens is the buyer feels really happy and feels like he paid a fair and commercial price because it's been explained by someone independent, not the person selling the business who's got obviously got a clear conflict conflict of interest and hopefully the vendor has seen through the process and meeting other accountants and looked at who are trying to buy and looking at these options has realized they've got a very fair and commercial price so they can move together and do that transition and succession in a fantastic way. I'm just thinking back mm. of an episode I did with Ed Chen about buying parcel fees and he said The price doesn't really vary that much. Mm. Where it varies a lot is in the year round, how long the principal has to stay on, what the um, earn-out arrangement is, the retention, etc. That's really where the heads butt into each other and that's where the broker really comes into his or her own yeah. by managing the egos on both sides. And when you're the ego on one side, you can't manage... You can't manage your own ego. You can't so. manage yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And hence, you always need a third person, be it that you sell real estate or that you sell a business or that you sell an accounting practice. Well, I think when you're selling the practice yourself, you probably become a bit too emotionally involved in the process. And you see when someone offers you a price or terms you don't agree with, often you can take that personally when it's just business. Someone's trying to, I mean, you've got polar opposites of agendas. One person trying to pay as little as he can and take and pay as little as upfront as they can and take as long as they can and get you to transition for as long as they can convince you to. While if you're selling your practice, you want as much as your money upfront, if not all of it. You want the highest possible price. And often what can happen too is you hear in the market that someone sold this price for this price and you start thinking, well, I should get that. I'm a much better practitioner. And sometimes what doesn't get known are the actual terms because the most important thing often can be the earn out turns and, and what's that categorized. So I can see situations where people have sold a practice and they'll say, well, if any new clients come on and whatever they pay, that'll be annualized out and that'll be included in the earn out where another firm will say, well, it's only whatever this group of clients that you transfer over, whatever revenue is generated, that's the earnout. So small differences in the earnout terms, 
can make a big difference in the final selling price or the, the earn out that you receive in 12 months time. Because often the deals are done over 12 months. And the transition can vary from six weeks to 12 weeks to six months to a year. So I think being able to manage the expectations of both parties, I often say to both parties, hey, I'm here working for the vendor, but I'm also here to facilitate because if the vendor's ultimate goal is to transition out of the business, then I have to put that first over over anything else because if I push, push, push and the deal gets crushed, no one wins. So sometimes I have to pull the vendor into line and say, hey, this is very commercial. You should be taking this. If you actually want to sell, you should take this deal. But at the same time, I'll say the exact same thing to a buyer. If they're not stepping up to the right price and not coming up with a term that's commercial, no one's no one's doing deals anymore where you pay 50% now and pay the other 50% over two tax seasons, which used to happen. People would cash flow these businesses and they would, you know, only pay, sometimes they'd pay, you know, 50% up front, even less, and then cash flow it as the, as the clients come in. No one's doing those deals. These days, people have to pay up front and the vast majority of it up front. So I would say that's where you, as a broker, you really do earn your... Is that true? The 50% now and 50% over two tax seasons, you don't see that anymore? No, not really. So the only time I would see that would be internal staff member. I see. So if you can still get that, then that's a really, really good deal. That's probably the top you can aim for, 50% now. Oh, as a purchaser, yeah. yeah. If you've got a, a vendor that's willing to allow you to cash flow the business. And sometimes I've done deals where the, the earn out has been 18 months. But usually if it's terms like that, which are in the favor of the purchaser, the price is higher, but also admit the purchaser is staying in the business. So if he's staying in the business, he knows he's going to be able to have all being equal, retain all the clients, unless they pass away, of course. But they'll be able to retain all the clients because they're staying in the business. So there's no change and they're coming into those premises. So some vendors are willing to do, be a lot more flexible on the terms if it's the right environment for the sale. Yeah, because if they stay for two years, they know that for those two years, the clients will most likely stay because there's no change. Because sometimes a, a principal, he doesn't want to stop working. He just wants to take out the responsibility of the ownership or the risk of not having succession planning two years time, but they still want to keep working. They love working. They love working with the clients. So if there's a deal there that can structure, which means that they stay in the business, but also can be great for the purchaser too, right? Because he's not paying as much up front. but not many of those deals are done. Usually if it's as low as 50 or 60% up front in terms of the purchase price, you'll generally find it's because it's a sale to a staff member who's already been in the practice for, For some time, there's a level of trust and understanding. And so that sometimes can happen. Have you ever seen a principal being successful in selling his or her own accounting practice? Maybe the cases where wow. it's most likely to happen is a management buyout where they sell the practice to a staff member as you as you just Well, when I've seen partnership buyouts when there's been, you know, four plus partners, I've done quite a bit of the valuation work for that. All I can say is sometimes I, generally they're not that smooth because they've had to call in someone independent to value and I've gone and done some presentations or met with partners and it's been quite tense. So even guys that have and girls that have got along together for cycle time, like maybe 20 years, 30 years of partnership, when it comes to getting out, 
they haven't managed the process very well themselves. Of course, there's people who have done good jobs at selling themselves. These guys are accountants. They're skilled operators. But I've generally found, though, that they've sold to someone that might be in their discussion group, someone they've known a very long time, someone who's patted them on the back and said, hey, John, when you're ready to go, I'm here. And, and they have just sold to that person. It's worked out. On the flip side, I've seen quite a few times where they've come to me and after, not straight away, but after a couple of meetings, I've realized that they actually been trying to sell it for a year and it hadn't worked out on, on a couple of occasions for whatever reason. One of the risks when you're trying to sell it yourself is as a purchaser, if they think they've got some exclusivity on the transaction because they've known the guy for a very long time and he said, I'll sell to you, they'll take their time. They'll take their sweet time. And if I'm managing the transaction, I'm not allowing a purchaser to spend six weeks coming up with an offer. And there's a thing called transaction fatigue. So what can actually happen is the buyer will extrapolate the process so long, drag it out, drag it out, not even give them a, sometimes there's not even any warranties around what they're actually going to pay. And six months, eight months later, they come up with something. And by and that stage, the seller is so tired of it all that he just sells. You've got it in one. That's exactly what happens. They just get so over it that they end up accepting any price. And so there is a big risk in, in this type of thing. I actually go to my way to say to people looking to sell, I, I say, okay, have you got someone in mind? Because if you have, write down these names. I allow people to nominate who they think they might sell to and give them a substantial discount off the brokerage. Because if they think, and I do that because I know that I can probably do a better job than what they can because I don't have the emotional attachment more so and I'm separate from the transaction. It's going to be a smoother process. The other thing I say to people that are selling is you're meant to be running your practice, not selling your practice. And it's so important that this is one of the biggest advantages of appointing a broker is that you can concentrate on keeping the clients happy, working in the practice, everything's ship shape. So when you come in and, and meet the recommended buyer, then everything's good. Because if they go, and often they do, they say, can, can we just see um, the numbers up to November? You know, and it'd be like the 3rd of December. And they want to see current numbers. Now, if you took all of November off on your billings because you're pretty much filtering through 60 inquiries that you got on a, off a website, people are going to go, well, hang on, what, what, what's happening here? So it's very important to, to keep that momentum when, you, when you're selling your practice and, and keep the figures and keep up to date. And it's hard to do that if you're trying to also coordinate the sale of your practice. That's a very good point. You just mentioned a scenario where if the principal has a few buyers already in mind, he gives you the names and then you offer a discount on the brokerage. Why that? Why a discount? Well, I suppose the way I see it, it's, it there's two parts to it. The first one is, well, if I don't give a discount, what they'll do is they'll have a crack themselves and see whether these parties will buy their business and then they'll come to me after it didn't work out. And then and, you already lost those buyers. Yeah, I've lost those buyers or one of those buyers, they might buy it. So I've missed out on the opportunity to, to represent them. And I feel like I can do a much better job representing them than they can themselves for some of the reasons I've talked about. So I don't want to get in the way of someone who would like to sell their practice just because they found someone. The other part to it too, if they can actually recognize someone they feel comfortable with, that's already part of my job Done. filtered. Yeah. So if they say, I really like this particular accountant down the street, 
I know he's interested. I haven't talked to him about anything yet, but I know he's interested. I'll happily discount my brokerage because I can go straight to him and say, hey, well, I've got some great news for you. Peter likes you. Yeah. There's a good fit there. And often they go, oh, that, that, they're happy to hear from me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've been wondering when he'll uh, like to slow down a bit. And so that can be great. So I, I, I want to make it a positive experience. In saying that, I have got a little bit of a disclaimer. So normally when I offer these discounts, it's based on a timely transaction. So that's fine if the transaction happens within 90 days, which is a kind of a normal process from where to go. But, you know, mm. if it's six months later, <laughs> I don't tend to um, offer that discount. And sometimes what can happen too is that people think they've got in their mind who they'd like to sell to. And I can say, sure, if those guys are the ones, and those guys aren't the ones anyway. What is the brokerage? Is it 1%, 2%, 3% of the sales price? I'd have to get oh, you to five percent. Yeah, 10%? I might have to get you, get you to keep counting. <laughs> well, I would say in, I, I started with one or two percent. I know that's in real estate. Yes, yes. But it's probably a different ball game. Well, it's a different ball game, and I, I'm working on much smaller numbers. So, and also real estate is often easier to sell because, in a way, it's more of a commodity. It's a house in Rose Bay or a house. In it's Rose a physical yeah, thing they're exactly. buying. People can come and look that, look at the house. You don't need to do a lengthy due diligence. No, there's no discussion of whether funding is easier. Selling a business is a a much more complicated, a lot more moving parts and personalities involved. You know, of course, when you buy a house, you don't meet. Yes. It, if you're a buyer, you don't meet the vendor, right? Where yeah. me, that's the main part of it is meeting the vendor. Yeah, that's so it's, true. So you're only selling an object when you're real estate, whereas you basically sell you're selling relationships. relationships. That's exactly what you're selling, relationships. It's typically 5 to 6% is pretty common for business broking in this kind of space. Some brokers in other businesses, believe it or not, are probably 7 to 10%. I think the main difference, I work off 5%, typically on the first million dollars of they practice value and then it's usually staggered or capped past that i would say that probably the difference between some of the brokers that are out there is their minimum fees so my minimum fee is five and a half thousand so if you have a hundred thousand dollar parcel of fees to sell makes a lot of sense if you've got thirty thousand dollars worth of fees to sell it probably becomes quite an expensive option and you probably sell yourself and some brokers are double and triple that as a minimum fee. So mm. they tend to work in the space where the practice value might be at a bare minimum a million dollars. So their minimum fee doesn't really come into play once they're selling practice for a million dollars, but if they're selling practice for 250000 you might find you're on 10% commission. So I suppose it depends on what, yeah. what space you sort of operate in. So I, I do work in large and small. I think it's important. I enjoy helping accountants sell their practice. So even if it's a smaller practice or a small parcel of fees, I always believe that uh, one deal leads to the next. So the more I can get involved in accountants selling their practice, the more I'll see different terms and conditions and prices, the more skilled I'll be at the negotiation. So I'm willing to be involved at any level. But I'd say broadly speaking, around 5% seems to be about the market. I think it's certainly having to pay a brokerage is obviously something that an accountant's going to factor in to the decision of whether they try themselves. I think if you're completely committed to the process and you've got a larger practice where you've got staff support, I can understand why the attraction would be there. But I would suggest that that in most circumstances, 
either the price or the terms or the headache, it's all it's going to be well and truly worth engaging someone. You're just going to look more professional. Just as the start off the bat, you've got someone more professional. Someone's going to facilitate the meetings, get the right information. I mean, I've heard and I know there's stories of people have sold to people that haven't made the back-end payment. So if you get a great price and it's 70% up front, but you've sold to someone who unfortunately isn't as honourable and doesn't pay the final, well, it's not going to be very good. So, well, I can't guarantee that either, but I can assure you one thing that I do great lengths and great due diligence on who the purchasers are to assist with as many conditions and terms to, to ensure that the likelihood of you getting your full fee is going to, you know, your full payment for your business is going to be there. So there are some serial offenders out there in terms of purchases too. Some purchases have great reputations and some don't. So I already know that. And so straight off the back that there can be a lot of advantage in an accountant said to me the other day, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know. I don't know if you said the third don't know, but the point is that until you've experienced something yourself, you don't really always understand. And even good accountants, as soon as they get stuck, they'll seek higher authority. They'll, they'll speak it to another specialist. They'll get tax advice off someone. They'll go to another firm. And, and I, I think that if you relay that to similar to if you're selling your practice, having that professional representing you actually makes you look more professional. Welcome back. So there are nine reasons why not to do a do-it-yourself sale. Number one, emotional attachment. You are emotionally attached to your practice, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Number two, a lack of experience. You don't sell an accounting practice every day of the week. Number three, buyer smell a bargain. The moment you arrive there all by yourself without a broker in tow, you, you look like a discount to have. Number four, it might look unprofessional. Number five, it will damage your business or there's a high risk that it will damage your business because when you're selling, you take your eyes off the road, you're busy with other things and then probably there's a high risk that your practice will suffer and that is exactly what you're selling, your practice. So if you let that go down the drain while you are busy selling, you basically harm the product you sell. Number six, it harms your relationship. Why you to and fro over the price? You're probably not each other's best friend by the end of it. And then you still have the transition to go through, etc. And that leads us to num point number seven, do-it-yourself sales hinders a smooth transition because by the time you're finished with the sale, there's probably a little bit of bad blood on both sides and that's not the best starting point for a smooth transition. Number eight, there is probably less competition because you don't have a big database of potential buyers. So that means you will probably have a lot less takers when it comes to competing for your accounting practice. And that, of course, less competition means lower prices. And then number nine is with less buyers negotiating, you will have less choice of which buyer you choose. Hence, your risk of choosing the wrong buyer is much larger because you don't have you basically don't have much choice when you sell by yourself. Those are nine reasons that Matthew touched on in this episode. In the next episode, episode 219, Matthew Taylor will talk about what to do and not to do when buying or selling a practice. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. 
Bye for now and see you in the next episode.